So last week, uh, I got to preach on Psalm chapter 1. We're in a series right now that's entitled Inhale, Exhale. What we inhale impacts our heart. What we exhale impacts others. And we're walking through some of the Psalms to talk about that. And today we get to look at Psalm 16. Uh, we gave you a memory verse as well, Psalm 16 and 11. For the summer, we're going to just keep coming back to that verse. And so our goal is that the entire church, all the services, will memorize that, right? And to be able to just sit in the depth and the beauty of it. Uh, but as I was preaching last week, I was actually preparing to leave in my mind. I was preparing to leave right after the second service, get someone else to preach on the Monday night service, and to take off to go to Kentucky um, because my grandmother-in-law got really sick. Uh, my, my wife's grandmother, my grandmother-in-law, uh, she's 98 years old. Many of you have met her before. Uh, we call her Gigi. Her, name, her real name is Holly Collins, but nobody ever really knows that um, because everybody calls her Gigi. And she is this remarkable woman of God. I mean, just a remarkable woman of God. And she's healthy. I don't understand it because I'm really out. So I've taken her out before. I'm like, hey, I just want the two of us to go out. We're really close. And I'll take her to Outback. She's like, let's go to Outback. I'm like, great, let's go get some chicken or some steak. That'd be great. And she'll order. She's just like, I just want cheese fries. And she orders Aussie cheese fries. And so, you know, later on in the week, I'm like, well, what do you want to eat today? She's like, I want a hot dog. And she's 98. When a 98-year-old woman who's a woman of God says what she wants, what do you do? You do it, whatever, whatever it is. And so, she, I mean, she lives on french fries and hot dogs. And uh, last weekend, uh, we found out she had really bad pneumonia, got taken to the hospital. Um, and it was really bad for a moment. I was truly planning to go lead a funeral because she, every time I'm with her. Now, you know what I want said at my funeral. Just tell everybody about Jesus. I'm like, I can do that. She's like, okay, don't cry too much, though, because I know you love me. Like this, she's so amazing. Like I wish she was here right now because I would say all that. I, I'm going to call her later today. Just know that and tell her all this again. And so here's this amazing woman. And um, one of the conversations we had about her, and it's just very real to me because of thinking, hey, I literally thought this last Wednesday or Thursday I'd be leading a, a, a service in honor of her life. And one of the passages that she always speaks about and has mentioned to me on more than one occasion is Psalm 16. And she says to me, she goes, I just want to have that kind of joy. And you tell me, Joel, and this is how she, she's so sweet. She's like, you tell me if you don't think that if in any time at all, I'm not portraying the joy of Jesus because I need to change. I mean, she, she has, and I, man, I've, I've re I recently just wrote a letter to her um, and sent it to her because she changed she built a legacy for her family that did not exist prior and so I, I want to read and walk through this passage of scripture with you today thinking about the trust and the confidence you can have in God and what does that lead to? Is it leading to joy? And what I love about this passage, it doesn't negate, it doesn't strip away the difficulties and the hardships. 
But it's letting us know that even in the midst of them, there can be overwhelming joy. I so badly want for you to know God. When I read through Psalm 16, often I I find myself burdened for other people who don't understand the greatness of who he is. Psalm 16, as you know, we, about half the psalms were written by David. This is one of them. And we know that the book of Psalms is broken up into five different sections. And this is a portion, it's, it's part of the wisdom literature. And so we know that even from last week, godly wisdom isn't about just making wise choices. Uh, biblical wisdom is about making what? Godly choices. And hopefully this passage today will help us in doing that. I'll, I'll go ahead and tell you, here's a, here's a quick, this is the shortest summary I could come up with. I'm walking through the office this last week. I'm like, how do you make this shorter? How do you make this shorter? Um, and I was trying to come up with the shortest summary of Psalm 16 I could. Here's the shortest summary of Psalm, Psalm 16 I could find, uh, or I could come up with. God will bring you through life and death, life and death, into everlasting joy, So he'll bring you through life and death into what? Everlasting joy. That's that's important. If he is your Savior and Lord. If he is your Savior and Lord. That's Psalm 16. And so we're going to walk through this. It's only 11 verses. We're going to walk through a lot of this and really discover more of what David is speaking about and what he's communicating. Because this is the stuff that will really impact your heart. This will impact your life. This will impact your family. This will impact the way you think of others um, in Saudi Arabia or in North Korea or anybody who's in China, anybody coming to know the Lord, Jeff, that will impact you and how you think about them. Here's how it begins. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Already the first two verses have such profound language. If we really process all that it's trying to communicate, we recognize, wow, Preserve me, oh God, for I know it is in you that I find refuge. It's in you that I find protection. It's in you that I trust. And so preserve me. Shemar is that word preserve in Hebrew. Shemar. You can say it. Shemar. You're all Hebrew brilliant. And it's literally, it's talking about what it means for God to preserve us, to guard, to to keep watch over us. We're looking at uh, some of Paul's writings uh, to the church in Corinth with the men this last Friday night and Saturday. And talks about be on your guard, be on your watch. So be a very similar word. A very similar word. And he's saying, God, please. This is David asking, requesting. This is a petition. It's one of, the way, one of the things that we look at when it comes to the Psalms. He's petitioning to God, watch over me, guard me. 
And if you look at the, the layout of the Hebrew, it's almost as though he's already declaring that's what he's doing and he knows it, but he needs to declare it. He needs to petition it anyway because he doesn't want to take it for granted. And so right away, it starts painting this picture for us, our understanding of what this, this, this chapter is going to do. And he's calling out, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. Preserve me, watch over me, guard me. And then, what he, that's the first verse. And the next seven verses, right, it's only 11 verses. So the next seven verses, what he ends up doing here is declaring who God is to him. Now, I told you that when you look through the Psalms, always ask a few questions. One, who does it tell us God is? Who is God? It's going to help you understand who God is who he designed you to be, and then so as a result of that, how you should live. So easy way to think about it. So we're going to learn for seven verses about who God is. We're also going to learn about who he has designed us to be, and then how that should change our life, how we should live as a result of that. Practical stuff for our everyday life. Now also, though, as, as he jumps into verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no God apart from you. Um, now I want you to notice something. If you, if you look at the passage, can we go back to the passage, please? If you look at this passage, it, it shows to us the, um, in the original language that the first Lord, it, sadly enough, we need to change this for the second service because I think it was, someone thought they were correcting something. The first Lord is actually, the L-O-R-D is all capital letters. If you look in your Bible. All right? We'll make sure we put the second ver- uh, service online. <laughs> the, the first word is all capital letter. It's all, and it's all uppercase. Why? Because English, English translations do this in the Older Testament to show by all uppercase letters what is God's personal name. And that's the name that he revealed to Moses even in Exodus, which was really important to them. That's, that's Yahweh. That's Yahweh. The lowercase Lord means master. So that's what he's, he's being able to do. And he wants to distinguish that. He wants to note that. And that's important for us because then he starts to call out, I say to the Lord, you are my, what's he say? Master. I say to Yahweh, I say to Yahweh, that's the name, right? Moses would have used, I say to Yahweh, you are my master. It's another way of being able to interpret it. You are my master. I have no good apart from you. Imagine that. How often do we refer to God in our prayers as master? Oh, God, my master. I love that because we know in the Greek that we're described as a doulos, D-O-U-L-O-S, right? Which in Greek means what? Slave. Isn't that appropriate then? Here in the Hebrew, we find him referring to him as master, and yet we know in the Greek that now we are able to look and say, yes, I am a slave to you. God, verse 2, God was everything to him. And this is someone who has been through so much difficulty, so much hardship, so much just catastrophe in his life. And verse 2 is letting us know God was everything to him. Is God everything to you? 
God was his highest good. God was his supreme treasure. It's what he desired. It's what, what he wanted more than anything else. And when that's true of you, Jeff, I just keep going back to it. We haven't planned any of this, but we, we, I keep going back. Those guys that you're talking about, those are the guys who go, God is everything to me. And as a result of that, they're willing to live a life different from everyone else because their only desire is to make sure that everybody else knows about how God is supreme. That's what verse 2 is doing. To really call him out as Lord. And even, guys, Jesus warned that not everybody who would call him Lord really knew him as Lord. He warned about that in Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. He says, very, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord. There's your, there's your word. Master, Master, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me. God knows if you're really everything to him. He knows if you're calling out to him as master and if you're sincere and you see yourself as his slave because you know that's the greatest. So many people think that coming to know Christ and being a believer in the Lord means that you just have to live this life of just constantly going, it's suffering and hardship. That's not true. When you live obedient to God, awesome obedience to God, it's a better life. It's a greater life. He continues on, verse 3 and 4. He says, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all my delight? The sorrows of those who run after another God. Notice the, low, notice the lowercase there. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. They're just going to keep multiplying. Their sorrows are going to multiply. The people are going to multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. It begins here in verse 3 telling us about the people who will come and make him glad because it's referring to God's people who've been set apart, who are declaring his goodness. And he's seeing people who did a mighty work. He's seeing people who did just wonderful things in the name of God. And he's giving thanks for them. He's saying, listen, I delight. And that word delight means it just, it's something that you can't contain. He's delighting so much in the people around him who claim and who know the Lord and what they're willing to do that it overwhelms him. Have you ever been around someone who gives so much God that it just overwhelms you and you're grateful for who they are? I remember uh, Maxine Bearden. I'm so excited. In a couple of weeks, I get to see a bunch of friends and family that some of them I have not seen in years and years and years, literally. We're going to have a, a memorial service for sprinkling my father's ashes. He passed away on the farm where he grew up. That farm's still in the family. But they, because it's close to some places he's pastored and where I grew up living, um, a lot of these dozens and dozens of people I've heard, they're bringing a bus down to be a part of this service. And I, Maxine Bearden is going to be there. Maxine Bearden, she's probably close to 90 now. I've had, can you tell I've had some amazing older women and men in my life? Amazing people. It's one of the biggest blessings I have. 
She's the one, and I, I told you a story before. My father, when I was in third grade, my father had severe pneumonia. They didn't think he was going to live. He was in the hospital for, uh, I think, about two and a half weeks. I had pneumonia at the same time, but not as bad. My mom didn't want both of us in the hospital. And so Maxine Bearden, I found out, she ended up taking all of her vacation time from her job to keep me at her house every day. I didn't know that at the time. And that's when I learned to be a master at a game called Connect Four. I'm a ma- Some of you, I heard the moan, bring it. That's all I have to say. All right. I will wager, not money, but a cup of coffee on that all day long. It's free right in the back. Um, three weeks she kept me. She took all her vacation. So she could keep me in her home. And every day as we played Connect Four, and I'm convinced the first day she let me win, but from then on out, I was just better. Um, She poured into me. And we talked about how God used people. She's the lady that when I got married, that was in third grade. When I got married, 16 years later, I hadn't lived near her for over a decade she made the best fried chicken in the world. Best fried chicken in the world. No offense to any, but best fried chicken in the world. She best be bringing me some in two weeks. She wrapped it up in this, ma- she made fried, her fried chicken, wrapped it up in a giant cooler and mailed it to Kentucky for my wedding day. I just got through eating it and I found out, I had the ceremony, the reception, who do I see? She drove eight and a half hours to get there got in the car at 7 o'clock at night and had to drive eight and a half hours back so she could go teach children in Sunday school the next morning. Like, I well up. Like, if I talk about her too much, I'll start crying. Because she poured into my life. And I think about David, and he's going, let me tell you about the people I get pumped over. The people who have poured into me and the people who love the Lord so much and they're willing to give up so much and they're willing to sacrifice and they're willing to be obedient to God no matter what. They don't take the easy way, the lazy way out. They're dedicating their lives to Jesus Christ. And it tells us, as for these saints in the Lord, they are the excellent ones. In whom is all of my delight. I can't contain what they mean to me. We don't have enough Maxine Beardens today. Aunt B is what I call her. For me, I, I think this is David going, who are the radical Christians? who give you overwhelming thanks for for their service in the Lord. Who are they to you? And even better, are you one of them? I mean, is that who you are as a believer? Is that who you are desiring so much to pour into other people? That you'll do anything in order, and you see those opportunities, you go, I can only imagine. She's sitting there going, and she was in her probably early 50s at the time, and she's going, you know what? I've got an opportunity. God's given me an opportunity to pour into a young person for three weeks. I'm in. 
because she recognized everything else was temporary. Those things have impacted my life in massive ways. Are you one of them? It tells it, you want to know how you should live? There it is. Keep going. I, I, man. Verse 5. We'll go to verse 5. The Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. Also, it can be translated, you are my share. You're, you're my allotment. You're all, that I, I, you're, you're all that I need. So here's David. David, um, right? He was the king. What number? Right? Second king, he's got everything he could want. He was the king, right? He had people tasting everything for him, making sure nothing's happening to him. He could just ask for anything and it was going to come to him. Wouldn't that be a nice situation to be in? Sometimes I go, that'd be great. Other times I go, that would be miserable. But he could ask for anything. And so you want to talk about having a feast? Every meal was Thanksgiving times three. And so that's the language when it talks about portion right here. He says, the Lord is my, my chosen portion in my cup. He's comparing it to saying, you know what? I know that I can get anything I want and as much of it as I want, and it doesn't matter. And I'm going to have the very best of the best. And then he steps in and he goes, you know what, though? I know that I can bring in the very best the very best wine, the very best food, the very best drink. I can get anything I want. And he's coming in and he says, the Lord is my chosen portion. What he's really letting them know is this. I still choose God. It didn't matter at this point in David's life what you put in front of him. What he's letting them know is, I know I can get the very best that the world has to offer, but it's still not best enough. I choose God. And that's hard for us sometimes, isn't it? We actually play games and and sin comes in and we start believing that things that are temporary are actually greater than something that is eternal and declaring and knowing who God is. And he's coming and he's saying, you know what, I, st- I choose God. No matter how good you think I have it, I choose God. Will you, will you say that right now, I choose God. And sometimes we need to make that decision on, on whether or not we're going to still choose God or if we're going to get distracted by all the other things that we can bring into our life. He said, I choose God. I choose God. It tells us verse 6 and 7, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Now, real quick, I want to address this. You can leave this passage up. But those lines are talking about boundary lines. And he's saying, listen, I, even the, the, the areas in which God has said, do this and don't do this, I rejoice because I know that's part of my inheritance because God is watching over me. God is protecting me. God is helping me. And in that God, I take what? Refuge. And so that's how we act in life. I, 
maybe you've had kids do this before. Um, I literally, younger uh, days, many, many years ago, my two older kids decided to do something cool. I told them a story about when I was younger, I took a picnic table. My brother did this. He took a giant picnic table, and he propped a lot of stuff under one half of the picnic table so it would slope down. And he put a wagon on top of it, and he looked at me, and he says, get in. I did. Later on, when I left the ER, literally, stitches, watch out. Um, I was telling my kids that. Well, the next day, I got home, fortunately, just in time, because my oldest son had configured the same setup for his sister. What are you doing? I'm just doing what you did. No, that's not what we do. And of course, fortunately, my older daughter says, Dad, I wasn't, I wasn't going to fall for it. All right? But they're going, they're going to end up modeling after us, right? They're going to end up doing that. And sometimes we go, well, I want to do this anyway. But we're going, no, don't do this because we know you're going to get hurt. And sometimes God is coming in and saying, I don't want you to do this because you're going to get hurt. And we still want to do it anyway. We're like, well, I have freedom and I can do whatever I want. And we don't even acknowledge that God is protecting us. Those boundaries. Those boundaries that God gives to us. So he says, the, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. He doesn't resent the fact that God is helping him grow in life by saying this is what you should do and this is what you should not do. Some of you are so hardened in heart. This is what happens. that When someone says, hey, I don't think you should do that. Well, how dare you say that? That's your first response. Instead of going, you know what, why is that? And then someone going, well, because I don't think it's reflecting Jesus. And we justify it all day long. And David's giving thanks that he's got these boundaries. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. It instructs me. One of the ways to look at this is, is that it's instructing him to bend his knee before the Almighty, to call on him, because God gives him counsel. That when, it, when it says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night, also my heart instructs me. One of the translations I read said it's similar to saying that you've been punched in the gut. It's similar to saying you've been, you've been punched in the gut and now all, as a result of that, you recognize the greatness of God. Giving you counsel. Verses 8 and 9, and I know I'm going quick, getting there as soon as I can. It says, I've set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Right, we already know a warrior during that time period, they would hold their sword in their right hand. They would hold a shield in their left hand. We know that the person to the right of a king would have the privilege of defending him. That was their responsibility. That was their role. And he says here, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I know that God will defend me. And so because I know that God will defend me, I will not be shaken. If you know that God will defend you and be at your right hand, if you trust in that, if you have confidence in that, there's overwhelming joy that accompanies it. 
if you really believe that God is going to be there and you can trust in him, that's why I, I wish I could get some and just shake them and grab them by the shoulders and say, don't you understand you can trust God? Another story, uh, someone came to my son recently and said, um, hey, so I just want you to know my dad's bigger than your dad. Literally, this is the conversation. My son, being who he is, said, everybody's bigger than my dad. <laughs> Literally. He's still locked in our basement. You've never met him before. My God is bigger than anything you've got. He's bigger than cancer. Amen. He's bigger than mental struggles. Amen. He's bigger than finances. Amen. He is bigger than anything this world can throw at you. And he is at your right hand. Praise be to him. That's confidence. That's trust. And David's calling that out. I will not be shaken. Why? Because he knew that he could trust in God. And so he's inhaling the confidence. He's inhaling the trust. And so as a result of that, he's now exhaling it and it's impacting others and he's letting other people know I trust in God I will not be shaken he is at my right hand he cannot be moved he is great he is powerful he is the one and only God and so he tells us so my heart's glad Verse 9, so my heart therefore is glad. My whole being rejoices. Now I get to, there's a sermon right there. Everything about him is what he's saying. My heart is glad. My whole being. That means nothing in your life is not rejoicing for what God has done in your life, what Jesus has done in your life. I think one of the greatest prayers, if we want to mimic this type of living Inhaling this and exhaling this and inhaling this and exhaling this. If this is what we want to inhale and to exhale in our life, some of us have to choose to release our anger and our bitterness and our sorrow because we choose to live there and we've become so accustomed to it, we don't know how to live in joy. And in fact, somebody, as soon as they say you should have joy in the Lord, some of you may go, well, you don't know what my life has been like. And, and I don't, but I can tell you who does. And I can tell you who is at your right hand for all those who believe in him. And he's bigger than anything you got. And that's not me being calloused or insincere. That's me desperately wanting you to know that no matter what you've walked through in life, God is greater. God is greater. And so he says, therefore... For you will not abandon my, he says, you're not going to abandon my soul. I know you're not going to leave me. So let your Holy One see corruption. Sheol is, is the, Sheol or Sheol, it's pronounced both ways, is a place for the dead. And it refers to not allowing someone 
to be put to death at the hand of their enemy. And that his life will be spared. And he knows that his life will be spared. Verse 11 is our memory verse. In fact, let's go ahead and just read this together. Let's go ahead and do that right now. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I got a, there's a picture I want to show you up here. It, this is all about making choices. There it is. This is, this, just leave it up here because this is really about making choices. David is concluding this, this psalm with, I just need to make sure that I follow God. I need to make sure I choose the right path because when I choose the right path, I know that, that there is joy eternally. I know that there is fullness of joy. It doesn't say and, and in that, there is partial joy. It doesn't say that there is joy sometimes. Remember, joy isn't based on circumstances. That's happiness. Joy is based on who you know and who you've given your life to. He's saying, I need to make sure... And he's really saying, thank you. Thank you for letting me know that I need to follow you because I know now where I can find fullness of joy. He's already lived every other worldly life. He's, he's done that, remember? He's been with all the ladies. He's, he's misspent money and been horrible with all those things. He has committed murder and he has done all types of sinful things. And he's going, listen, I've learned it's not that. That's not the path. That's not the way. God, thank you for showing me the path because that is what leads to joy. And it's forever and ever. And he's giving thanks for that. God will bring you through life and death into everlasting joy if he is your Savior and Lord. It's a beautiful reminder for us. And it all comes down to whether or not you will choose to chase after God. And we want desperately for you to learn this because this isn't a, a one-time hit, right? It, it, it's not one of these things where you just, it's really quick and you get a thrill out of something and then it goes away, it fades away. This is something that endures through anything. It says that joy lasts. It's everlasting joy. And so we have to choose that path. And we know that that path is not always the easy path. We find that in Matthew chapter 6 as well. He talks about the path where we will walk. Where we lay up our treasures. But some of us today need to choose the path that leads to Jesus. I swear, I, I come back. Uh, I come back to Gigi, same way I started Right? About every three weeks, I still get a letter from her, 98 years old, telling me all the ways that God wants to use my life 
Last time she was here, not too long ago, I said, Gigi, you don't have to keep sending me letters. I know God wants to use all of our lives. We all need to be reminded. So I'm going to keep reminding you because people in church can be mean, but God's good. Like she's that woman. She's the lady who, when she puts her hand on your shoulder, you know that you're truly being blessed. Is that your God? Do you find so much trust and confidence in him that that's who you're running after? Let it be your God. Let it be your God. I know, guys, I'm very aware. I've, I've ran a little bit over today. Shocker. So I'm going to, I'll go ahead and, Nathan, I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to ask the ushers, go ahead and get up. Come on up here if you would. And we're going to have an opportunity to give back to God as we sing and as we worship him. For, for new people here, um, this is, giving back to God isn't something we have to do. It's something we get to do. It's part of our worship. It's part of our worship. Everything we have is his. Everything we have is his. And we get to because we find our eternal joy in him. Because he is the path of life. He is the way and the truth. And so we want to worship him today. And my prayer is that you would truly find your confidence and your trust in the almighty God. My prayer for you is that that is where you would find everything. And that it would help you to recognize that there is eternal, eternal joy in declaring him. And that he's greater than anything else. No matter the feast you have in front of you, he is greater. Will you run after him? Will you run after him? That is my prayer for you. And that you would know his blessings. In Christ's name.